Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You are listening to Tech Time with Summer's F1, presented by Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by F1 2018. Today's episode is called Tactical Difficulties. I'm your host, Matt Trumpets, and I'm joined by the hardest working man in Tech F1, Matthew Summerfield, assistant technical editor at motorsport.com and known to all the cool kids onto Entertubes as Summers F1. How's it going, Summers? Great to have you back. It's great to be back with you, Matt. Apart from I can no longer touch you because we're on the internet again. I know. It's such a sad thing. It was so great to just sit there until the wee hours of the morning and have these fantastical discussions about all of the things that we wanted to talk about when we weren't constrained by time and uh, add to it a great deal of fun carding. But I have a question for you. Okay. It's my 20th anniversary tomorrow. And I've gone out and gotten my wife a gift because I've actually for once remembered it ahead of time, which I think is progress. You'll have to agree. However, I've decided to get her a vacuum cleaner. So I'm just like looking around for anyone to be encouraging about this choice. Well, I think it might be a slight mistake, Matt, but as long (laughs) as it's one of those brilliant ones that has a fantastic suction on it then yeah perhaps you might get away with it i guess we will see but if this is to be our last podcast together just know it's been an honor and a privilege to serve with you sir uh we are an independent podcast supported by you the listener we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first if you want to join the live stream, find Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and subscribe. Click the little bell icon when you subscribe, and you'll get a notification when we go live. What say we go and talk a little tech?
Because really, what could be better about life than a relaxed talk about Formula One? Formula One tech with Summers. All right, enough of that. So we are looking at the 2018 season, and we're roughly halfway through now. So maybe the best thing to do would be to start with, and you had a brilliant article in Motorsport, um, I must say, it's just to start with sort of an overview of the developments at the top and sort of where you think each team is headed. Yeah, well, I, th- I think that the biggest um, thing that we, we'd want to talk about would be the battle between Mercedes and Ferrari and how that's ebbed and flowed uh, throughout the start of this season. So I think that comes down to primarily their design choices at the start of the year with the car, which I did touch on in that uh, article that you've just mentioned, Matt. But also then we have to look at the way in which that both teams have approached their development paths. And they're quite different this season. Um, and I think that's had an impact on the way in which that the two teams have tended to perform this season. So if you think about Ferrari, they've had a, a sort of um, let, let's go each race at the development pace so that they've had parts at almost every single race. Whereas Mercedes seem to have taken heed of what's gone on in the opening part of the season and they've had a large development sort of in the middle of the first part of the season that was to deal with their side pods um, and try to unlock some performance in that respect. So, yeah, two very different sort of uh, development arcs going on between the lead pair. Right. And I'm just going to ask, do you think that it is maybe a tactical thing by Mercedes, as in if they stick them all, all on at once, then it's it takes Ferrari time to figure out what they're up to and copy it or figure out how to negate it? Or is it really just sort of their chosen development path and cycle that they sort of tend to follow every year? It's slightly different, Mercedes, this year to to previous years. Um, They're a little bit late in the development arc when you compare them to uh, performance being put on the car in the past. They tend to take Spain as sort of the line in the sand where you'd see quite a large update come to the car. But what I think they've decided to do this year is create a development path aerodynamically that matched with their power units introduction so the two work in tandem with one another and what we've seen is uh, mercedes haven't directly copied uh, the ferrari side pod approach but they've sort of lent towards it in as much as that they've pushed the side pod inlet backwards to stop the wake of the front tires impinging on the performance of the side pod and and the way that the airflow moves both into and outside of it um so for me, it's yeah, it's a very different path that both teams are, have taken. But it's um, for, for Mercedes, it's a little surprising in that perhaps the biggest update came a few races later than it ordinarily would do. Yeah, that was very surprising to me, and it it makes me wonder. Uh, do you think that Ferrari is gaining perhaps an advantage because they're adding a half a tenth here and there at every race? Whereas Mercedes has has basically been stuck with a, a similar design until they hit their big update. I mean, are they leaving maybe some points on the table uh, following that path? Yeah, I mean, it's always difficult because you only have so much resource. Um, now, Mercedes obviously have led the pack for such a long time as well. So for them, it's difficult to to really try to eke out the advantage more because they're always in the lead they don't know how much they have to make up so it's always a difficult difficult one to lead the pack in terms of development so ferrari in some respects have a a better 
chance at it um, in that respect. It's sort of a catch-up game. But I do think that they're very evenly matched now, both on perfect unit performance and on aerodynamics, even though we must remember that the cars are vastly different in their aerodynamic philosophy, um, their suspension philosophy, uh, and obviously they've got variation in the way that they're using their power units as well. So to see two teams battling so very closely with so very different cars is a fascinating uh, prospect. Well, and and really, that's what uh, I guess everybody who finds the technical aspect of the sport interesting. This is what we've been waiting for, because we have two different approaches. We have teams that seem to be trading back and forth uh, who's quicker and who's quicker at what track. Now, you did mention that you felt they were fairly equal on performance. Are you now hedging your you think Ferrari has the better design or are you, or is this really just you're looking at the overall points on the board and saying that makes them equal? It's a difficult one because it, it's very circuit specific um, and it's very driver dependent as well. So at each different race, we see that one team seems to have an advantage over the other, just characteristically driven by either one of their drivers having an advantage over one of the others or by the fact that that particular circuit suits the power unit characteristics. Um, I mean, we all know that there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes ahead of a Grand Prix, but it's also what goes on at the Grand Prix as well in terms of preparation. Um, and if the setup of the car for that particular circuit is conducive to that team's performance and also the way in which that obviously the ERS systems are working, the way in which obviously they're allowed to uh, run the power unit for for fuel, etc. We're talking about the drivers here. Um you know, it, it all comes down to fine margins when you, you're working this close. I would suggest that perhaps Ferrari have the edge on Mercedes in terms of the aerodynamic side of things, but there's it's just small, small areas of performance, pockets of performance. And this is where it's going to get fascinating towards the end of this season in terms of who ends up with the better development curve and who can cut that up, curtail that performance in order to uh, take advantage next season as well okay so uh, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves um what are we expecting to see maybe uh upcoming at spa and monza from ferrari and mercedes okay well from ferrari we're expecting a new turbocharger and mguh um, which apparently is quite a development in terms of the, the performance that they'll they'll get from that. Um, we've already seen that they are going to get an exhaust upgrade that coincides with that. So, um, you know, they're, they're just piling on performance, but they're they're interacting this performance with both aero and the mechanical aspects. So, much like Mercedes, as I mentioned, have with their side pod update, I suspect we will see uh, sort of a dual um, development um, from Ferrari at uh, Spa. Okay, and uh, Mercedes, do they have anything in the pipeline as well? I mean, it sounds like uh, if you were going to be betting money that you'd be betting Ferrari would be showing up with more performance at Spa. And they seem to have had more performance uh, outside of the uh, nut behind the wheel, as it were, in the last two races. But but you feel like this new turbocharger MGUH is really going to give them a decided advantage? Or do you think it's just going to bring them equal? Because, again, Spa would appear to be a circuit that tended to favor uh, the Mercedes design. Yeah, well, the, the thing with Spa is it's a 
massive compromise. Obviously, you want uh, a low drag um, car for for the first sector, um, but as you get into the second and third sectors, you need more downforce. So the teams are always compromised in that respect. And it's why we see Red Bull tending to get into the mix um, under race conditions in in the second sector because of their inherent downforce advantage um, and a, a slightly slippery car. Um, obviously, they're, they're not up to the level of the, the top two at the moment. So I don't foresee them being a massive issue to, to the lead pair uh, for the rest of this season. Um, but what I do think we'll see is Mercedes opting to to introduce a new rear wing um, and perhaps a new front wing, or maybe just a tr- trimmed front wing, um, to account for the the low downforce sectors on on the circuit at Spa. Um, and obviously, this is the trade off between the two teams that we'll see uh, borne out at this particular race because where one has an advantage over the other. Um, you know that they have to compromise with one another to try to get equalised performance, especially when Ferrari seem to have got such a, a high speed advantage over Mercedes recently, which is, you know, the opposite of where we've been over the last few years, where Mercedes have made their power advantage count. Yeah, and and that goes back to that interesting uh, GPS data that uh, Auto Motor und Sport had published and that we've all had a good look at in a lengthy chat about but they just seem to have a decided advantage on on corner exit in terms of speed and and drivability that mercedes has yet to crack although who knows it's been a couple of weeks and i'm certain although they've officially been on vacation uh, it's hard to not think about that stuff even when you're uh, hanging out with your family on the beach i actually have my best ideas when i'm doing things aside from formula one my best ideas come to me when I'm out on the cycle. So, yeah, um, I, I can quite imagine that there's a lot of people in, in the F1 uh, realm that, uh, although they shouldn't be working, are, are obviously always got their, their brain ticking. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to avoid if you're really interested in it because the ideas, they'll just come to you at any time. But let's do look a little further ahead because we have, in addition to to, to what we are talking about now, we also have um, some brand new regulations coming in, and we'll get to those later, but we have seen it in the past. A lot of times, a championship will come down to who gives up first and focuses on next year. Now, recently, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a chat with Matthew Carter, and he seemed to think that because the regs were aero regs and because it's Mercedes and Ferrari, and they just basically have two teams, one for this year, one for next year, that they'll pretty much be willing to throw stuff um, at each other all the way across the finish line. But is that your understanding of it as well? Yeah, they have separate working groups. And it, it depends on how much resource that you, you travel from one working group to the other. There'll always be a switch-off point, And it just depends on how far you're prepared to go off down the season before you switch off development. Because what we must remember is that, that although next season's regulations are, are quite different compared to where we are now in terms of the front wing there are a number of areas on the car where you will still continue to add performance so the leading edge of the floor the barge boards all the areas that were opened up for 2017 to enable more downforce those areas still haven't been reined in so although we'll lose some performance at the front of the car and gain a little bit at the rear because of the rear wing and add some drag obviously i think there's still areas that the teams can focus on and carry across for next season so Matthew's writing as much as that I do see 
uh, Ferrari and Mercedes sparring it out in terms of development quite late into this season. But there is has to be a cutoff point where you think we can't throw more resource here because we will inevitably have an impact on next year's campaign as well. Right. And I'm just going to go with, based on my own experience and thought, that I think of the two, I believe it's going to be Mercedes that blinks first. Because if I'm Ferrari, and this is the interesting thing about it, if I'm Ferrari, I really want now to win the constructors for Marchione. I think there can be no doubt about that. And I feel like they will be willing to throw the kitchen sink into it to try and make that happen. Uh, but conversely, that's difficult because in terms of tactics up until now, they have been very focused on, it would seem, primarily winning Vettel, the driver's championship, because they understand there's more marketing leverage in that. But the glory would go to Marchione if the team wins. I say they might make a play for the team win and keep on be willing to dump resources longer and start out more behind next year as a result of that. But that's a psychological thing. That is certainly not a technical thing. I would suggest pretty much the same as well, though, to be fair, Matt. And, and the reasoning behind it, not only from the perspective of, of winning for Marchione, for me is that they've been uh, without a championship since 2007. So this is 11 years without a title um, up until this point. And so for, for me, it's down to getting one on the board um, and getting one off of Mercedes. Because as we as we know, if Mercedes take another one, um, you know, that with a regulation change coming in, it could suit one more than the other. So this is their opportunity to get one on the board effectively. And, and I think that they will throw the most weight behind it in order to achieve that. Yeah, it is as close as they've been in quite some time. So before we leave this topic, uh, there's one more thing. And again, there was an article uh, just recently about it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Ferrari steering wheel and um, ice bag, for lack of a better word. I don't know if that's technically what you call it over on your side of the fence, but that's sure what it looks like when they dump it up on top of the car. Yeah, basically you're talking about the dry ice bag on top of the airbox, yeah. the roll hoop, mm-hmm. um, which the Ferrari have taken to doing um, between sessions, before qualifying and before the race, etc. Um, in an attempt, it would appear to obscure what's going on in the cockpit for uh, the rest of the teams. Um, for me, it might be more of a distractionary process in order that there's something else going on in the car. Um, because we all know that teams uh, will take to that tactic in order to uh, try to divert attention away from what's actually being looked at. So there is always that that in the background. Um, but what I think Anthony Davidson showed um, prior to the Hungarian Grand Prix, the footage of the steering wheel and the clutch release, um, is quite important in this respect because obviously what would be normally seen from that airbox roll hoop camera um, has sometimes been obscured by the dry ice bag on top. Right. But to be clear, you don't think that those little nubbins underneath the steering wheel are anything untoward or um, any, anything that Ferrari's up to that might be, well, let's just go with on the far side of whatever lines that uh, Formula One intended to draw with their regulations. You just think that it's to help the driver um better situate their fingers and get the best clutch release possible that's right i mean i've looked at many pictures of the steering wheel um 
with obviously the access they have available to high resolution images that a lot of people don't. I've looked at the footage um, that was shown via Anthony Davidson and I can understand why the thought process is that there is a button behind the the uh, front face of the steering wheel because that may help to to improve the clutch release system um, but for me it's more of a fulcrum all, all I'd ask is that if anybody here is listening and, and wants to understand what I mean by that if you go and put your hand on the steering wheel and imitate trying to use a clutch paddle behind a steering wheel it's quite a difficult process because you have nothing to really associate where to place your hands with now by having this little nodule on the steering wheel it gives a reference point and a fulcrum to work from so you're effectively able to work the the clutch paddle uh with this sort of nodule on the steering wheel now it's interesting that Vettel and Raikkonen actually use the clutch paddles on opposite sides of the car so Vettel uses the left hand side of the, the the steering wheel with his his uh, hand operation of the clutch whereas Raikkonen uses the right hand side and the steering wheel has these nodules on both sides of the steering wheel so to me it's you know it, it's a process rather than a, a let's call it a cheat as some perhaps might want to uh, perceive it as it, it's just something as a reference point to hold the, the clutch bite position um, and, and quite a clever trick from Ferrari in that respect but nothing untoward as far as I'm concerned. Well, there will be many disappointed people on the regular show as they won't be able to blame Ferrari's increased performance on just plain flat-out cheating. So before we go on, you mentioned that you feel like that ice bag over the camera is entirely perhaps a bit of misdirection by Ferrari. What do you think they are trying to really um, hide then? Have you been able to figure anything out? Do you have any suspicions? I don't have any any suspicions per se. Um, there's a lot going on with the Ferrari. It's a very interesting car in many respects, just as the Mercedes is. But it's it's far less complicated and fiddly than the Mercedes, let's say. So I think that's why people assume that there must be something going on that's different with the, the Ferrari in order that it's able to keep pace with relative to the, to the Mercedes and, in fact, be quicker than it in some circumstances. Um, in terms of what's going on i do feel that um ferrari have found something in terms of the way in which they operate their energy recovery system um and that's partly to do with um firstly being able to produce more power in the mid ranges as you've talked about which shows up in the gps data um but perhaps also to do with the blown uh rear wing that we talked about on the live show at karting um in terms of being able to produce some drag so you know that that is a speculation that that blown rear wing it's just something that makes sense to me in terms of the way in which the performance is, is relatable for ferrari um but i would imagine that the the biggest advantage that we're seeing from ferrari is the way in which they operate their energy recovery system um and they're making gains in terms of how much energy that they have to to, to push out from the for the car this year all right so let's move on to the next segment. Hello, I'd like to interrupt this podcast to talk to you about our sponsor this week, which is the video game of F1 2018. Have you ever wanted to overtake Lewis Hamilton in Formula One? Well, now you can in F1 2018. You don't like the Halo? 
We can get rid of that for you. In the video game, you can remove the halo and live life as an F1 superstar. The official video game of Formula One puts you right in the cockpit of the fastest racing machines in the world, including every official Formula One vehicle in the 2018 season, from powerhouse teams like Ferrari and Mercedes. You already drive like a legend, but you can drive the cars of legends in 20 classic cars, including eight all-new classics like the 1972 Lotus 72D, the 1982 McLaren MP4-1B, and the 2009 Braun BGP-001. There's an all-new career mode that lets you live life as an F1 superstar, establish yourself as one of the most respected or the most notorious drivers on the circuit, leverage your F1 expertise in contract negotiations with teams like McLaren and Mercedes, engage the press in time-pressured interviews where every answer counts towards your reputation, pick your rivals and overtake them in the official 2018 season. Use your F1 expertise in the R&D system and fully upgrade your car to your liking and get ahead of the competition. What's new in 2018 is it makes you feel like you're right in the action. Revamped visuals make this the most realistic looking F1 game to date. Drive through dense fog, rain and blazing heat. Hey, in the UK, you can do that all in one morning. Feel the raw energy of an F1 car with F1 2018's improved physics and feel that suspension go to work. Feel every bump and turn across 21 international circuits. Use that F1 know-how that you learned on Miss Apex podcast to decide how to utilize your car's power using in-depth ERS management. Playing your cards right can lead to exciting head-to-head battles on track. F1 2018 is available from August 24th. Go to FormulaOneGame.com or visit your local retailer to pick up a copy and make headlines today. FYI, I will be on Xbox One. My gamertag is Spanners Ready on there. And Chris Rainbow Sparkles Stevens will be on PlayStation 4. So make sure you come and race us online once it's released. Okay, back to the podcast. All right, so we mentioned earlier uh, the 2019 regulations, and I, I have to admit, like, I'm I'm kind of baffled here because there's still nothing on the website. Normally, we see 2019 regulations have have already shown up and they've already marked up, so you can see the difference from last year. There's nothing official yet. Now, I know Carter told us that well, you know, they would have been discussions in the strategy group, so everybody has a real idea. But honestly, I mean. What, do you, I'm going to ask this because this is the only thing that occurs to me. Do you think they're just going to wait as late as possible to reduce the amount of loopholes that are found before the start of next season? Potentially, that is one of the, the reasons that they've opted to do this. But that could actually go in reverse to them because the teams might interpret things in a way that um, they haven't asked about in technical directives, etc. Um, and we end up with designs that weren't intended for the way that they actually are. Um, I think much of the um, problem that we have here is that just the 29 regulations in total are uh, a massive leap uh, and they're trying to really nullify any advantage that can be made from from the big teams in respect of the design of the front wing, the front brake ducts, 
um, and certain other areas that will be affected by these rule changes. Um, I'm really frustrated, if I'm honest, that I haven't seen an actual um, an actual set of regulations from the FIA at this point, uh, because I really want to just draw a front wing. I want to know what the rules are surrounding the front wing, and I want to see what is potentially a, an option for the teams going into next season, uh, because there will be an unintended consequences of the way the regulations are written. Um, and I do think that it will be right for one team to come along and, and have a small advantage uh, against the rest. Yeah, well, I, I think you would, again, not be the only one because, I mean, the season's halfway over. And I don't know, as we all know, the, the purpose of this is they're sort of testing out some of their theories about how to improve the aerodynamics, and particularly the aerodynamics for the trailing car. But we don't really know how effective it's going to be. Or you had mentioned, too, they were trying to control the wash and that a lot of that comes from the front wings. But there's still a lot of open areas where the teams might do something unexpected to sort of spoil this plan. And it would just seem like if the teams were on board with this basic idea aerodynamically, getting them the regulation sooner means that you have a chance to rewrite any poorly worded sections that you might have inadvertently put out there. Yeah, but we've been in these situations on rule changes in the past. Um, there's an, always an unintended consequence of the way in which the rules are written. Um, the teams are always able to find more than the FIA and Formula One management are able to to put together in terms of regulation because the, there's more of them. You know, you, you've got 500 people in, in, a form, in a small Formula One team these days fighting against 10 people perhaps who, who are creating the regulations or attempting to create regulations. So there's always going to be that defeat element. You're always going to have the number game. Um, and the ability to beat that that smaller number. And it's why we see that the smaller teams always struggle against the bigger teams because it, it is a resource and a numbers factor at the end of the day that those bigger teams just have more available to them than the smaller teams. Okay. Um, we have seen uh, recently in the press um, some pictures of the aerodynamics, some CFD pictures uh, of how the aerodynamic profile they, they slice them different ways of how how the 2019 profile uh projected will compare to the current 2018 profile and i was curious to get your input on that because there is a visible difference as they're being presented uh to us but i'm not sure how much of a difference there really is relative to what they are claiming Okay, yeah. I mean, those pictures are fascinating. From it was automotor and sport again. Um, our, our favourite friends who, who like to do a lot of technical stuff as well. So, um, the the problem that I have with the, with anything along these lines is is that there's, you know, those images that are shown are unrepresentative when we consider um, a 2018 car, let alone a 2019 car. So we're we're basing them on. Um, somebody's interpretation of the regulations and they're lacking fidelity as well which is always problematic um, especially when it's CFD so if we imagine that the 2018 car that somebody's roughly drawn up is perhaps at best case a Williams in terms of its CFD ability um, imagine how much further on 
the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari are compared to that car in terms of the intricacy of those surfaces. Um, it, it just doesn't really gel in terms of how you interpret it versus the new regulations. And unfortunately, the, the uh, CFD that I saw, um, they hadn't taken away some of the front brake duct elements um, in terms of actually taking them off the, the model. Um, so the, the results are skewed um, in that respect. But it's a good base. If anybody wants to have a look at those, um, I did retweet it onto my timeline from uh, Toby Gruner, who works for Automotor and Sport. Um, they are they are nice to look at, and they do prove that there will be less outwash uh, because they don't have the surfaces on on the wings in order to to move the airflow out around the front tires. And they do prove that obviously that has an impact on the flow stream. Uh, in the diffuser and also then obviously the wider rear wing taller rear wing etc will also have an impact on how the the upwash from the rear wing occurs so you know it does it does pay some significance in terms if you do see a difference but it's a stark difference um, and I don't think we'll see such a stark difference when it comes to the performance of next year's cars. So my takeaway from that then is that the outwash the teams are generating is very important to their overall aerodynamic functioning and the amount of downforce they're able to generate at any given speed. And even though the pictures we see show a fairly marked reduction in that, and again, if I'm understanding it correctly, the idea is not that you can get rid of the quote-unquote low-pressure air when you are trailing a car, but to get rid of a lot of the um, turbulence uh, which would be provided by all this outwash and vortices that you're talking about, that will unevenly affect the leading surface of the trailing car. So even if you don't have like regular air pressure air because you're directly behind the car and the uh, air is getting scooted over you, per se, that following behind it, you'd rather have an even pressure to deal with. And that what's causing problems for the trailing cars is that they're not getting that. They're getting these high-speed blasts of air in between the low pressure uh, created by the rear wing. Okay, yeah. The, the way that I'll explain this is that if you imagine the front wing on a, on a Formula 1 car is physically connected to the rest of the car, let's say it has a surface that connects from the front wing to the floor, um, that's intentionally what the teams are trying to do with the airflow. They're essentially trying to create a surface that connects all of the, the structures together. Now, obviously, you can't do that from a physicality point of view because the regulations don't permit it. We have had in the past, if we go back to the later 80s, early 90s, we had sort of these surfaces that would go inside the rear wheel. I think if you remember sort of the Mansell era cars, you remember most definitely yeah. a, a surface that edged around the front, the, the, the inner side of the, the, the front wheel. Now, that's what they're trying to do with aerodynamic structures they can't physically create these structures so they're trying to create them with an aerodynamic structure instead now what happens when the front wing doesn't see a natural airflow so it's in turbulence it cuts off some of this aero structure and it makes the the rest of the car underperform so it's not only the front wing that is affected by the wake it's the total distribution of airflow over the car that is is affected so that the car the car loses downforce in total not just at the front wing and what these regulations are looking to do is to dampen that result 
by obviously dampening the, the problem at the front wing. And then that should have a cascade effect down the rest of the car. The problem that Formula One will face in 2019-2020 is that unfortunately the teams didn't allow the FIA to have uh, a little bit of margin in terms of stopping the development of the barge boards and the leading edge of the floor. And unfortunately that area is, is giving them a huge amount of performance. And so what they may lose at the front end, they may be able to sort of gain back by creating these aerodynamic structures a little further back. Um, Yes, they're going to lose downforce or total downforce, but I don't think we're going to see a massive difference in the terms of how much, how fast these these cars are um, overall. Uh, the big the biggest issue is, is is will reducing the turbulence improve the ability for drivers to to follow in the wake and, and obviously increase overtaking. Um, and and for me, although everybody thinks that DRS is an artificiality, this is as well. We're, we're, we're reining in designers and, and the way that they're operating in order to artificially improve the show. So, yeah, the, there's um, there's some problems with these regulations. And, and unfortunately, until we get to 2021, I think we're, we're kind of going to be stuck in the same monotonous loop. All right. But, I mean, don't we always rein in designers? There are always legality boxes. They're, they're, they always have capped design at a certain point and made people go look elsewhere for their inspiration and the i mean just it's the nature of the sport it would seem to me that okay you've done this for x years now we're going to say you've got to go look at an entirely different place to create the same amount of performance It, it doesn't seem that unusual to me and if it has the advantage of improving things for the trailing driver well, then, you know, it's it's a win-win because now the design team is going to be busy trying to find performance somewhere else instead of, you know, eking out uh, tents here and there. Yeah, I mean, the, there are advantages to, to moving in this direction. And as you say, we have had this spiral uh, of regulatory changes. Um, 2009, obviously, being the big waypoint. Then we had them again in 2014, again in 2017, and, and now we're having another lot again in 2019. But unfortunately, this is one of Formula One's biggest issues because from a financial point of view, it puts a huge amount of pressure on the smaller teams who do not have the resource to to carry out the sort of um, development programs that the lead teams can have. Uh, and, it, and it becomes a cyclic problem within Formula One, whereby one team will sort of come out of the, the natural position that they find themselves in, like Williams did in 2014, let's say, or Braun did in, in 2009, um, Red Bull in 2009, 2010. Yeah. You know, you find, you find these cycles um, with reg- regulations that find that certain teams make better advantage of, of what they're seeing. But unfortunately, there's there's no big there's no big leap for everybody, and closing up that pack is going to be a massive massive venture for for Formula One. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, it, it will be. And I don't know that, I mean, uh, it, when... I ever have the time, I would love to go back and, and look at how many teams on any given year were ever truly competitive and had a chance to win. And I would guess that once you got outside of the era of exceeding unreliability, that probably, you know, at, you might have had three teams who were properly in the running in any given season. And that would be amazing. And that's what we have now. Um, the difference is it's been the same two or three teams. We haven't seen uh manufacturer cycle in once we got to Mercedes to show up and be competitive. And I guess we're going to have Renault now to follow for that narrative. We'll see if they can move up. And as they move up, I, I had to make a guess. Perhaps Red Bull might be moving back a little bit. But there's there's only two or three teams that ever seem to really have a proper shot at it. And the best you can hope for is that it's close enough that the midfield teams will occasionally be able to steal a podium here or there when things go wrong at the front. And I, I would guess, if Formula One is being clever, that's really what they're trying to do. They're never going to get all in any of these teams in with a shot to win. But hopefully some of the some of the better backmarkers will occasionally be able to steal a podium because that will make things a lot more interesting for your viewer. Most definitely. And I have just had an email in from, from Formula One Media um, with an interview from Ross Braun talking about 2021 uh, and the way in which they're, they're looking to reshape the car, um, which, unfortunately, I read the words, we are trying to make them look better, uh, which is always a dangerous move for Formula One in, in certain respects and has caused many ugly designs in the recent past. Um, so I think they have to be wary in that respect. But he's also talking about the cost cap situation um, and that they're trying to soft launch it between 2019 to 2021 as well. So as of next year, um, the, the teams will actually start to um, ha- start the glide path towards a cost cap, um, which has apparently been agreed between the teams. So that does bring some interesting um situations coming coming down the line in terms of development and the way in which the teams are actually structured and the resources that they're able to to maintain yeah it it does and it might once again um give some of the teams that are struggling right now a, a chance to catch up because they're no longer fighting um with such an asymmetric amount of resource which at the end of the day 
is is the obvious and singular problem is that the teams that are the teams that always tend to win everything are the teams that have three to four to five times as much resource to sh- to shove at all their problems and that's yeah. almost impossible to overcome i i know everybody had a lot of fun at the last test talking about the um williams and the amazing multicolored chassis so Looking at those, did that offer any insight to you? Did it give you any ideas? And does it seem like maybe they're on the road to a solution to their magnificent season of woe? It is certainly a magnificent season of woe, isn't it? Unfortunately, it's a massive slide from Williams and a team of its heritage is is a difficult pill to swallow. Um, in terms of the um, United Colours of Williams, um, they... We're obviously testing out a 2019-esque front wing. So it was a a front wing that was very basic, five elements, um, and kind of looking at 2019's aerodynamic structures. Now, I wouldn't read too much into the actual overall design of that front wing in terms of what we see with it compared to next season, just purely because we've been here and seen this before. If anybody was around when... Um, Honda were testing a sort of mule car back in 2008 they tested a very simplistic front wing on their sort of hybrid car um, before the 2009 regulations came into play and then Braun had perhaps the most complex front wing on the grid at the time so I wouldn't read too much into what we've seen in that respect um, I do think there's scope or there will be scope within these new regulations to to perhaps see some differences between the, the designs because obviously we saw Forest India run a 2019 spec front wing as well and both were very similar in, in their design aspects. But all they're trying to do is understand fundamentally where that airflow would be heading um, down the rest of the car and that's why we saw the multicoloured um, flow vis on the Williams because they were just trying to see where the the airflow was hitting um, on the rest of the chassis. Um, in terms of was it interesting and did it provide any answers? Well, I realistically only Williams can tell you that because they have the data pre that 2019 front wing, so they can correlate the two pieces of information together um, and work out perhaps where they're going wrong with this year. It could give them some insight into what's going actually wrong with this year's chassis. Um, which they really need going into to next season. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a fascinating segment of pictures in terms of understanding where airflow hits certain areas. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's not where you would expect. All right. Let's say we go, since we started talking about the back of the midfield, let's say we go and talk about the rest of the midfield. And, you know, as we talk about the midfield, uh, to me, the most interesting case here has got to be Haas, because they flat out skipped the test in Hungary. I mean, they were like, ah, we're just going to head to the beach. Uh, we're going we're gonna to kick off our shoes and, and hang out. And we're not worried about next year at all. And uh, I'm just curious, like, do you think that was a clever choice for them? I think in terms of cost, it was a clever choice because if you've got nothing to test, um, then perhaps it's 
you know what what's the pointing been there um Steiner actually made that that comments that you know they've got nothing to test because they've got no developments for the car um they're in a situation where they're in the middle of the season they understand their chassis they understand their tire performance and they understand where they are relative to the rest of the the pack um and, it, and if you're not actually going to gain anything from the test um which when you've got a santino um sized hole in your junior driver program yeah um then you know then what is the point in being there um, the other teams will just, con- you know, that have got the money, the resource, will continue to pound around um, to, to try to, to get answers. But I, I do think from Haas' point of view, uh, where they currently stand, then, yeah, I don't see any reason why they needed to be there. You know, we had talked about, and it came up with the Carter show too, we, we had talked a bit about Force India, and it seems like there's a little bit of a fly in the ointment for the uh, Stroll Consortium. Um, what exactly happened with that? And are we even going to see them, do you think, uh, racing at Spa? Could, could, could that now be in doubt? Well, this all might be a, a, a overtaken quite quickly with the, the way in which this is all going to unfold rather rapidly. But um, Force India have arrived at Spa. And they've immediately started to take all of the um, stickers and whatnot off of their equipment. In other words, we're no longer Force India. Um, And I think there's two mechanisms going on here. Firstly, from an outside point of view, perhaps they don't want to appear to be the old team in as much as that they've now got new investments. Um, So they want to appear to obviously be whatever they're going to be in the future, Force Stroll or or whatever it, it turns out to be. Um, but also, from what I understand, that the consortium have only actually bought the assets um, from Force India and the administrators have been o- unable to sell them the actual uh, company, Formula One Team Limited, Force India Formula One Team Limited, which means that the entry that is owned by that team is associated to that limited company, which also then means, obviously, that Force India that are at the circuit technically aren't Force India anymore, and they don't have the right to be competing in Spa. So it's a rather complex situation um, in terms of the way in which the contracts, etc., work behind the scenes. But um, it could be that a lot of negotiation is going to have to go on in the next few days in order that they do race at Spa. Now, I, I will be honest, I don't know exactly when this episode is going to drop. So the answer to all of this could well have happened by time the listeners hear it. But I'm also fascinated because if what you're telling me is true, doesn't that absolutely mean that they've lost their uh, prize money from last year? There's no question about that. Yeah, I mean, the way that I see it is that for, uh, the soon-to-be for Stroll team um, will have to basically become a new racing entity from the scratch. So that means that firstly, they will lose any prize money from FOM in terms of you know what they've accrued in the last few years. They will also lose all of the points that Force India have accrued up until this point um, because they are a new racing entity. And finally, it means that you know it's a full reset. Um, Going racing might be a difficulty this weekend. I think they've literally turned up this weekend to put pressure on the FIA to make a decision because they will actually have to pay the FIA $500,000 in order to be a new entry. Plus, on top of that, 
and there's no figure in the sporting regulations that actually um, suggest how much this should be, but they have to pay a late payment fee for entering the, the season late. So there's a lot that will have to go on behind the scenes to make this possible this race weekend. Right. And as is often the case, will this also require the um, acquiescence of the other nine teams on the grid in order for them to, to be eligible to participate this weekend? I would imagine so, yes. Although the FIA will have an overriding factor in terms of who can join as a new team. I don't know the ins and outs of the new team procedure, but having read through the sporting regulations, um, the way in which this will unfold is that effectively they'll become a new team, which is obviously problematic in terms of revenue um, uh, and also just the way in which they're going to operate going forward. Uh, As I say, they'll have lost the championship points and it will effectively be a start from zero. So it will effectively say that Williams aren't the worst team anymore, um, unless obviously they beat them uh, this race out. Also, what we have to remember is, is that behind the scenes, the new consortium are having to do numerous deals because effectively that if they're starting from scratch with only the assets, then they're a new team, they're a new company. Um, And obviously that means that all the deals that were already in place, uh, it's a very difficult mechanism in terms of engine contracts and fuel suppliers and driver contracts and uh, a whole field of problems, um, which obviously has an impact on on Lance Stroll as well in some respects um, and the way in which that he may be uh, brought into the team. Now, the question marks that have been there, will he replace one of the drivers at Spa? Well, you know, I think they might just want to race at Spa let alone get Lance in the seat. Uh, And then they will have to pay a penalty if they want to bring him in in one of the other races later down, another financial penalty. Um, So it could be a very messy situation going on over the next few days. Uh, It sounds like it. uh, Sounds like it might very well be. I get hung up because if they have bought just the assets, then that would mean an insolvency and an insolvency would mean that the driver contracts are canceled. So I think it may not be an issue in terms of going forward with the two drivers contracts, they would have to be renegotiated, which could leave room for some swapping. But for Williams, it would be a problem for Stroll because he has signed a contract with them and is um, required to drive for them as far as I'm aware and would have to buy himself out. Uh, Force India has been uh, most vocal in maintaining the independence of the midfield. Now, now they're bought out by Stroll. We've had Sauber bought out by New Money. Have we reached a point where, financially speaking, the Haas model is the model that will predominate and you're either a manufacturer fighting for the top of the podium at the sharp end, or you're simply choosing whose B team or C team you would like to be. I mean, is that really where we have come to in the sport? Yeah, well, we're already at an impasse whereby we have a two tier formula. It's not openly admitted, but we're there. 
you know, the, the, the three or four lead teams are, are the ones that will fight it out for the main championship and everybody else is just picking up scraps. Um, Magnussen even came out recently um, uh, and suggested that he was in the lead of the Formula B series, an imaginary series that he's made up in his head, which he's leading because he's at the top of the, you know, the, the, the championship points that, that still exist outside of the top three teams. So, you know, I think we're already there, unfortunately. And the financial model that we've already talked about uh, earlier on in the show just brings us to that point whereby Haas have come along and changed the way in which people perceive is it's possible to run a Formula One team and, and changed the way in which the, the financial model works. And now other teams are starting to realise that, hang on a minute, we can actually do that and we can do it for less than we're currently doing it for. Um, yes, we might not be able to challenge the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes, but were we able to challenge them anyway? Uh, and that's the conundrum that, that Formula One currently finds itself in, I'm afraid. I get where you're coming from. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's a tough issue because uh, our, 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 I have heard that, that Williams might be scrapping its uh, gearbox division entirely in order to afford things. Uh, who knows what's going to happen at McLaren? But obviously, I think they're in for quite a bloodletting too. And it just, it seems like unless you have your own engine deal, or unless you're just a flat out manufacturer, uh, the top of the field is just not even worth worrying about. Uh, and we've even seen Haas on the heels of Red Bull several times this season. Yeah, which is predominantly down to the um, issues that, that Red Bull find themselves in with their current power unit supplier. Um, one might suggest that uh, they may not have this have similar problems next season when they're running a Honda power unit, let's say. Um, I'm not suggesting any ill uh, ill advice has been given from Renault, but they're obviously um, they're obviously not getting um, the support that perhaps they were getting when they were a, a works team uh, Renault. Um, the, the thing with Formula One is, especially in the technical. Um, respect there's always a state of flux there's always movement and people moving around within the sport uh, and that causes problems in terms of the way in which each of the teams operate as you say Williams I, I haven't understood in this hybrid era why they've continued to build their own gearbox it made zero sense in terms of uh, resource versus reward um, uh, you know, Force India have made gains in that respect. They used to purchase their gearbox from McLaren in the V8 era um, and have moved over to Mercedes. They enjoy that uh, relationship. Why have Williams continued to, to build their own? Um, I understand that they want to, to be a manufacturer in their own right, but to the detriment of being able to afford it perhaps isn't the right way about going things. Um uh, and I, I do think there will be a state of change within Formula One in that respect, especially when we get to 2021 and a lot of the parts are talked about being standardised um, or at least being the, you know, the, the parts being um, reined in in terms of what can actually be done with them. So, yeah, I do I do see, unfortunately, we're, we're in a bit of a, a state in Formula One in some respects, um, but obviously we, we are only a couple of years away from what might be a potentially better situation. Okay, so this all then kind of comes back to the change in the listed parts that, that we've discussed on and off. And is that 
ultimately going to be the tactic that plus the soft uh, budget cap that that Braun and Liberty are looking at to revamp the competitiveness uh, of of this whole series. Is this how you see that playing out? I see that exactly how it's playing out. It's a double-edged sword. They're they're basically trying to to uh, to restrict the ability of the lead the lead teams and bring them down to the the pegs of the lower teams in order that the competitive edge is brought closer. Um, achieving that might be a little bit more difficult, but that is the their aim at this present stage. I would say. Okay, so before we go, is there anything else that you want to get to um, development-wise, anything that's already wandered in the door um, for any of the teams that we haven't discussed? In other words, is there any other business? The only thing that I would say is, is obviously, I don't know when we're going to put this this piece out, but um, this I've already seen that Red Bull have copied Ferrari's uh, interesting twin element um, wing mirror arrangement that they've been running since the start of the season and was subsequently copied by Toro Rosso. Um, it's a rather a, um, an aggressive version of it because they, they've basically taken their original design um, and made it into this two-piece arrangement that Ferrari have had. So, yeah, that, that's already on the books for, for Spa. Um, we've already seen some bits tested ahead of Spa that I would suggest might be seen by Ferrari and Mercedes in terms of um, exhaust setup for Ferrari and rear wing for Mercedes. But aside from that, I think we're we're just waiting for for everything to come through. Excellent. Well, do tell us where everybody can find you on the internet, and don't forget to brag about your very own website. Okay, so the best place to find me is on Twitter because I update that quite regularly. Uh, perhaps not as much as I used to do, but it's SummersF1. Um, and obviously, you can find my work at summersf1.co.uk along with some of Matt's. And obviously, um, my work over at motorsport.com. Excellent. And as for me, I'm Matt Trumpet. You can find me at MattPT55 on the internet. Do go check out my lovely and glorious wife, who may or may not dispatch me after she gets her anniversary present today, at aweaverrights.com. And remember, chicks dig heels, wounds cause scars, and glory is a fungible concept under certain philosophical precepts. This has been Tech Time, presented by Mist Apex Podcast. that went reasonably well i would say the same i just oh man the first india thing just keeps on getting more unbelievable everything like every little bit that i hear about it i'm just like oh yeah it's, it's a, a major cluster yeah, man, that 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 rule about the insolvency is really really problematic 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.